I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. And for this morning, have hope amid despair. <laughs> oh, I'm not, and I don't mean it. We're despair again. You losing, losing people to in a situation like this is not a bad thing. It's, uh, and I know, I know both of them well enough to know that they'll do a work for God wherever they are, and that's uh, and that's important. But we are. I think I told my wife this morning, please pray for her. She's got ulcer problems and has been having them for some time. Uh, but I told her this morning that uh, I, I may, what I teach this morning, I probably will carry on and preach tonight uh, because we are living in a, a, a time when we have to have hope. We really have to have hope uh, because it, it's, a, it's a challenging time. Uh, I, I think that, we, you know, the Bible speaks that God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. And um, interestingly, I, I was going to say this tonight, but I made to say it this morning. Uh, the last week or so, you know, I've not been here. I, I took some time for myself. Yes, I, I did do some fishing. I did do some turkey hunting. But uh, primarily I was by myself. And uh, I had a brother Gillespie a couple of weeks ago just made a statement. He said he'd been praying about uh, revival and uh, revival. First, I, I want you to I want you to hear this part more than anything. There is many different kinds of revival within a church. There's a revival of finances. There's a revival of unity. There's a revival of souls, and we can keep going. We have had and been in because I and this hit me while I was gone because sometimes you focus so much on one thing that you missed what's in front of you. We have had, in the last year, a revival of finances, an unbelievable revival of finances. Uh, my wife had uh, insurance pre- people come out uh, this past week. Uh, Terry Wright came from Farm Bureau. So we got to start insuring the uh, Graeberg kept insurance on this new building, uh, but we've got to pick it up now. And she, he got one of his carriers that came in. They went through the building. Uh, he uh, he told my wife, he called my wife, and he said, uh, your building is worth, if you were to replace it in the shape it's in now, without bathrooms, with the shape it's in now, is worth $475,000. We have got $160,000 paid for in that building. Now that, that's a revival. That's a revival. He went on to say that we get the gym attached to it, that our complex here will be $2 million. The church is a $1 million now. So, so you know, we, we are in the poorest county in Indiana, and we're having a financial revival. You know, and, and that's, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. But anyway, going on with that, that that's, that's a very, you know, wonderful thing. But I, you know, and God showed me that, you know, this is what I've done for you. But Brother Gillespie made a statement of talking about the uh, revival of souls. And he said he just felt like God spoke to him and told him, he said, it's not time yet. And I had, I, uh, you know, sometimes just a couple of words, you, it hits your heart. You know, someone else may have said something similar to that but, and, and not have the same impact. But that one impacted me. And so I began to, to just talk to God about this. And um, I had kind of got my mind away from it. And, and normally I'm not one. Uh, I've, God's blessed me with some interpretation of dreams, but I'm not one that has a lot. Now, I have dreams, but primarily they're from eating too much pizza or something of that nature. But... Uh, <laughs> This one I had, I had a, a dream, and I woke up with a song that I had, and now we had not sang here, and I don't know how long. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. I woke up with that song. But my dream was this church. There was people sitting back here that had once come here, backsliders. But what got me with this was that I could tell you the clothes they had on. I, it was that distinct. Could tell you the color of clothes they had on. 
And I remember people coming up. And when the Philippines, a couple of times I go, and I, I think Anthony might remember this, where they would shove people up to the front for you to pray for them. Do you remember that when we went? Well, that was happening here. People were being shoved up. We were praying for people. People were going out in the spirit. But it was more than just going out. People were being instantly healed, and it wouldn't stop. It was a continuation, a continuation. And that's how I woke up with that song in my heart. Actually, you know, just again, I haven't, hadn't even thought about the song. And so it, it let me know that God, and God has given me peace through this, that I give you this financial revival. He gave me the word. It's not time for the other one. When this one's done, the other one will come. And that's exactly the, the way I expect it. And so, so I, I'm saying all that to, to come to this. We have to recognize what God has done for us already. Acknowledge that. And have hope for the next phase. Let me read to you out of 2 Timothy 3, 1. Then we're going to go to Titus 2 and then 2 Timothy 4 and then Luke 21. That will all come up behind me. It's a single scriptures as we go along. And 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. In Titus 2, 11, 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Everybody should know. I want you to look at that real hard in this present world. This present world changes. This present world today is not going to be the present world tomorrow. Things change. We live godly regardless of the change that's outside. Okay? So we live godly in our present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearance, appearing rather, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I always love that, our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the great God, not just the Savior. He's our great God. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Luke 21, 9 through 11, But when ye shall hear of wars, commotions, now this is a different translation, commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers or diverse different places. Famines and pestilence and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Turn and shake somebody's hand. Tell them I'm glad you're here this morning. Invite someone next Sunday morning. You may be seated. One of our apostolic ministers made this statement uh, concerning his nine-year-old son. He said they were traveling down the highway, and he said he had the, the news on. And he said, of course, and on the news, there several different negative things came across the, the, the news uh, on the radio. And he said uh, when they went to the ads, he turned everything down. And he said his son in the back seat, he said, was playing with a toy airplane. He said, never dreamed that he was even paying any attention he said, as soon as I turned the, the volume down, he said, my son said, Dad, this world's a mess, isn't it? And, and, and you know, he said this simply to say this. We, we, we expose our children to one bad thing after the other when it comes to news and even our talk. Do you know that? It's very difficult for us not to talk about the things that are on our minds. And not necessarily, I'm talking about church gossip. I'm talking about just the negative things out in the world, job situations, whatever it may be. We talk about that and we expose our children to that all the time. And it can help to, to, uh, you know, to affect them in some way. Because I can remember 50 years ago, there was, there was disasters then. We all knew that Cuba was going to send a nuclear missile right into the United States. People built bomb shelters. Because they knew that nuclear holocaust was on the way. Now you don't, and it's still there, but you don't hear any much, much about it now. Now everybody's buying bug out bags, bobs. And you put all your, your good stuff, because when, when, when uh, we have civil war and the, and the Democrats rise up against the Republicans, which I don't see how that could happen because they're anti-gun people, that would be completely out of nature. 
<clears throat> so that wouldn't really work. But, you know, we, we, we've got some kind of problem or disaster going on at all times. And, and there is. And I'm not trying to, to minimize what's going on because if you begin to look at it, we see some of the things that's coming. We, we move from one crisis to the other. And, and, and all my life there's been some form of crisis looming. There's been war, famine, climate change, crime, monetary trouble, civil unrest, natural disasters, terrorist attacks, and all kinds of other crises. In the last few years, there's been an increase in the frequency of earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding and drought and, and all kinds of natural phenomena. And there's only one way to find peace in troubled times, and that's this way. According to Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is an everlasting strength. If we're going to make it through this, we've got to trust in the Lord, regardless of what we see going on around us. Yes, there is natural disasters. And I was talking to my wife yesterday about the bug-out business. You know, it was, it was interesting. Rick was talking talking with me. I said, you can't find a, a used camper anymore because people are putting all this stuff in campers and when all the, all the bad things happen, they can hook onto their camper and they can all go 10 million people to the forest and they're all going to have the problems with them because they're not going to get away from it. They're going to take it with them. But I said, the, the thing is that these people, this is the only hope they have. Their hope is in what they can do through their own arm of strength. But our hope, our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. He's the one that will carry us through. He's the one that will carry us through. You know, we can't agree on the exact timetable of the events of the last days. Most agree that many of the events of the last days uh, are going to be catastrophic, and we know that. And here again, when we get into this kind of thing, I always like to qualify this. Uh, I have my own personal belief in the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew being for the Jewish people and the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew being for the church. Ten virgins, okay? Now, I, um, I, I, that's my personal belief. But I also believe that when you begin to look at the 24th chapter of Matthew, that you can see some of these things beginning to come to pass. Uh, God has a way of giving you a preview of what's about to happen in, in, in a more horrible manner. And I think the church will have a preview, if you would, of what's going to occur in the last days and give us the opportunity to get people who know, you know, and understand, have an opportunity for them to get right with God before the rapture of the church. Now, that's how I've always believed, and I believe this 24th chapter, some of the things that we're going to use uh, this morning in there are going to be previews, and some of the things we have already seen happen, but not to the extent that they're going to happen after the church is taken out of here. So I'd just like for you to understand that's how, why I feel. And if you don't feel that way, that's fine with me. You don't have to. Paul said this. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come in 2 Timothy 3.1. Perilous, according to Strong's concordance, means difficult. That is dangerous or by implication furious, fierce. Uh, and an Oxford's dictionary defines perilous as full of danger or risk. Today's uh, New International Version renders 2 Timothy 3.1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And Jesus warned, now these are talking Timothy, Paul talking Timothy, and I believe that is talking about our time. And Jesus warned we would hear of wars and rumors of wars, and he said, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in different or diverse places. We have seen the fulfillment of all of these things. But however, we must remember that he said all of this is the beginning of sorrows. That's what takes me to that place. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. So it's possible the church will see some of the 24th chapter of Matthew in the beginning because we're going to be taken out of here. An opportunity. I, you know, there's nothing that, that shakes up a child of God more than to see something that they just read in the scripture occurring the day after you read it in the scripture. Now, that gets you to going the right direction. It, it makes you and forces you into saying, these things are going to come to pass. Uh, I remember a preacher, well-known, preached here several times, making a statement that he said, God cannot come and, and, and take me out of here until I have children. 
You know, I, I, it, it so happens that he's got children, so I guess God can come now. But, but regard, regardless, you know, we can't make statements like that. We can't. It did work out. Maybe the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm not coming until that time because he does have children. But regardless, regardless of what, what happens here is we begin to we stipulate, make stipulations on God. You know, God, I'm having a great time. I'm making all kinds of money. I'm working a great job in Ohio. I love being going there and being gone all week and coming. I just enjoy it so much. You know, you can't come because I'm enjoying my life. But I don't think he really feels that way. I think it would be happy. He would be happy if the Lord would come tomorrow. I would be. I would be very happy if the Lord would come tomorrow. In fact, I'd be happy if the Lord comes between services today. Do you see what I mean? Now, how many does that really get? Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to feel that way if we want to see the Lord come. I really believe that we are the ones that push things back. We're going to see more bad things occur because we don't want the Lord to come because everything's going good for us. Well, how about the 99.9% of the rest of the people? Just a thought. So we're going we're gonna to study a little bit how despair is gripping the hearts of people as they see these things happening that Jesus foretold. And further, as a result of these perilous times, we're going to observe the development of what we're going to call end-time attitudes. Okay? And, and they are there, end-time attitudes. And, and they're in a lot of people. Not only of despair, but also of stress and depression. The end-time attitudes of stress, despair, depression... They are all over us, and they should not be in the church, but my friend, they are. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one here that, that points my finger at you and says you're terrible for feeling that way because we all deal with it. We all deal with it. But let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's find an antidote to it. So we're going to try to underscore scriptural prophecies outlining these things that are coming to pass. We're also going to see the, the challenges that these end-time fulfillments of prophecy present. And thankfully, we have... Uh, we, we have hope through Jesus Christ. And, and we need to stress that. We have hope through Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that some of the stress and the depression that people are feeling today is because somehow they have lost sight of the rapture, they've lost sight of the, of the, of the heaven, that we've lost sight when people uh, first came at the turn of the last century and people came to God, they look forward every day to the rapture of the church. They went to church every night. They worked on farms. They worked on jobs just as long as you work on them. They had long days just like, but yet their nights was not spent sitting in front of a television. It was spent coming to church. Now, whether we like that or not, but the more that you're there, the more that you pray, the more that you, you, you find your love for God being renewed, the more your, your attitude and, and everything is on heavenly things. <laughs> Our attention should be on things above, not on things on this earth. And that's the key to, to finding hope. So we're going to try to do that. I want this lesson to create us a, a stronger resolve to hold to hope in our hearts and that we receive by the Holy Ghost. I receive hope when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I didn't have things going my way when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My family wasn't the best in the world when we received the Holy Ghost. It wasn't at that time. My children were young, but there were just things that I, you know, I was doing and things that, thing, thinking that I had that, that I knew that, that I wasn't right. I knew, and the thing is, I knew how to get right. And thank God he got a hold of my heart. Thank God he got a hold of me to get me in here. And now I've had hope, and I've had hope for over 30 years. And I hope if the Lord deferries, I have this same hope for another 30 years. We need, to, we need to have hope in spite of this negative attitude that's around us. And there's a lot of it. Perhaps there's no passage of Scripture that gives a more pointed picture of the emotional effect of the last days in Luke 21, 25, and 26. I want to read it again. It says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. Of course, we all know about the blood moons that have come and are going to be coming. And in the stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waters roaring. When you see the sea and the waters, is speaking of people. The sea is always depicting people. And what's roaring is the people are roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. The word stress 
is a shortened form of the word, or form rather, of the word distress, which means extreme anxiety, sorrow, or difficulty. And although describing another time in history, Thomas Paine's stated statement uh, really describes our present age when he said, these are times that try men's souls, and we are living in those times right now. But Paine was referring to the time of the American Revolution War, a Revolutionary War, but today's stress is related to another war, and that's a spiritual war that we're having, one that exists between good and evil. And we are fighting it tooth and nail at this point. We are seeing changes that we don't like to see. And I'm not talking about changes in the world. We're talking about changes within what is called the church. We see this and it begins to, to, to bother us and stress us out. And there's a purpose and a reason for that. Not only is stress a mental and emotional state, but it's also a biological state. In that it affects the physical functions of an individual. It may affect a person's judgment, their general outlook on life, and their mood. Have you ever seen a time when more people who've got the Holy Ghost, who should have joy, are walking around with darkness all over their face? Why? Because it is a condition of the world. Why is God allowing it? Because God is trying to pull us out of the world so the world will not affect us. Uh, I'm going to get in one of my... You may just hear this all again tonight. I'll preach it differently, though, I promise. So it's, it's an emotional function. All these functions and others can be, again, affected by conditions of the end times, which Jesus Christ predicted during his ministry on earth. He said this. He said, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, uh, unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of the coming of the, the end of the world? And Jesus answered, and he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers' places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. There's where we are. The love of many people have waxed cold. And when we read about the signs of the end times we, that was prophesied by Jesus, it's not difficult to understand the end time attitude of stress and despair and depression. Many people are suffering from this. And at first Jesus said that the last days would be a time of deception. When false prophets are rising with an intent to deceive, he said false messiahs will come in his name claiming to be the Christ. Now the tension of the possibility of deception contributes to the stress of this age. Nobody likes the thought of being deceived. And yet deception is all around us. And people that, that we held close and we held in high esteem, uh, we hear them falling away. And, and God help, I want to see people restored. And I don't mean to make light of anybody's trouble. But on the other side of it, there's a part of us that says, that, that, that person deceived me. I thought that if anybody could make it and they did the right thing or preached the right thing or said the right thing, taught the right thing, it would be them. But yet we see those people falling away. And we think, I've been deceived. And before long, you begin to look at everybody who, who preaches from a pulpit as the, maybe that person's deceiving me. Maybe they're not telling me right. What is the answer to that stress? There is an answer to that. What is the answer? Anybody, give me a hand. What is the answer to that? The Word of God. It's knowing the Word and knowing that the Word is being preached according to how it's divided. Not pulling something out and saying and making a doctrine out of something that is completely taken out of context. But knowing the Word of God and standing firm on the Word of God and not allowing yourself to be deceived. I, I, I remember, and most of you have heard this, I haven't told it for a long time, but the story has stuck with me for years about Calvary Tabernacle. 
this is before Brother Urshan came there. They had several different preachers, and they had they had one that came in there. He's uh, <laughs> I remember his name. I won't say it. I don't think he's still alive. But <clears throat> he I can't believe I remembered it. He he came in and he was actually that was during the latter rain. It was just a, our charismatic movement, and he tried to pull all Calvary Tabernacle into believing the latter rain movement. And and this guy was up there, one of those good preachers. And Calvary Tabernacle stood firm. The the board in that church told him, he said, we are not going to go this way. They had been taught so well in the Word of God that even though this preacher that they put in this position tried to pull them away from truth, they would not budge. Now, you hear what I'm saying. That is the that is a true church. That is a true church when they have got the word of God so deeply deeply bedded in their hearts that nothing can pull them away from that truth. Thank God for people who who, who it's not a matter of, of personalities follow me because this is what I want and it's all about me, but it's a matter of what's about the word of God and about Jesus Christ. That is what we need to stand firmly on regardless of what we see around us. So the the deception we don't want to be deceived, and we want to avoid it. We, we have to, believers are going to be careful to reject false prophets and to avoid wolves and hirelings that would deceive them. They should commit their energies to follow the true under-shepherds who will lead them to follow Jesus Christ alone. We do not have to fear deception if we're, if we're allowing God's Spirit and His Word to guide us. Jesus said, and when He putteth forth His own sheep, uh, first his own she- his own sheep, excuse me. He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger, a stranger, will they not follow, but will flee from from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. Jesus also warned about the end times being the time of wars and rumors of wars. And clearly, we live in a day of global conflict that manifests in many parts of the world. World War One was believed to be the war to end all wars, but actually, it was a war that precipitated more wars. Jesus prophesied nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Jesus warned uh, of coming famines and pestilence and earthquakes and, and divers are different places. It is difficult to find accurate statistics because whoever you talk to about these kind of things, when it comes to uh, famines, pestilence, uh, the earthquakes, uh, all these natural disasters, it, it's difficult. Some people say that we've always had them and they just never uh, was able to keep good records. Other people say that that's not true, that, that now because they can, can see these things coming or know that what they are, that there's just a lot more of them than what there, there ever, ever have been. And really, that's what the Scripture is saying. It's not a matter. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been pestilence. There's always been diseases. But now we see them all the time. All the time. It's always. And I know that the media is able to get us information instantly. I realize that. But still, I don't believe it's ever been like it is now. Maybe that's because there's six plus billion people on the face of the earth. I'm not sure. But regardless, it's coming to pass. And it is happening. And we are seeing this occur. And personally, uh, you know, the world is made. God made this world to uh, last for a certain period of time. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was created to die. It began to die the instant it was created. And so it's got a limited time. Our world has got a limited warning. And, and it's, it's not going to last forever. And we, we need to know that. So what are you saying? I'm saying that our hope is in Jesus Christ and a world that we have beyond this one. That's my hope. That should be your hope. You know, you, you begin to see the, uh, the stress, despair, and depression resulting from the catastrophic conditions listed above and, and having resulted in a loss of hope among many people. Hopelessness exists in many individuals because of physical world conditions. And such as those that Jesus mentioned, and also because of the present political and economic conditions. I, I told Ernie this morning, I, I looked at the paper yesterday, that's the weekend, I just looked at it from a distance. And, and I seen, the first thing I seen, I, can, I can't see very well, and I can see bad things. You know, but this is supposed to be a good thing, and it made me mad. Jobless rate went down in April. 268,000 new jobs has been created. Now, I, I, told her, I told Rick, I said, that's a lie. That's a lie. I said, there's always an uptick in jobs in the spring. It's because all the contractors and all the builders and stuff go back to work. It's always the case. Truck drivers go back to work. But it's like, 
Obama created new jobs. Sorry, I just, I'm, not, I'm not against Obama. He's all right. He didn't create anything. He might think he creates things, but only God creates because that means building something from nothing. That's what we need right now because we ain't got anything. We need some creation going on. But, you know, it's just, it's just a lie. But, you know, we keep getting this and say, all right, let, let's get this and make everybody feel hope in new jobs that's always been there. Another thing they never say is how many of these jobs have benefits? How many of these jobs have retirement? How many? None of them have any of that. But it's a false way of creating hope. We, if God has blessed us with any kind of work at all, or any kind of money is coming in, we need to thank God for it and believe that he's going to give us something more permanent. That's how our hope is not in what the government can do. Our hope is in what Jesus Christ can do. You know, it, it would seem that the political and economic realities of the day are working in tandem with the, the prophesied physical signs occurring around the world to bring about the fulfillment of Jesus' words. And, and clearly certain conditions must exist before the Lord returns to the earth to set up his earthly kingdom. Although Christians have no problem believing that we're living in the end times, this postmodern world lives in denial. They do. Complete denial. Uh, in the contemporary English version of Second Peter 3, 3 and 4, it says, But first, you must realize that in the last days, some people won't think about anything except their own selfish desires. They will make fun of you and say, Didn't your Lord promise to come back? Yet the first leaders have already died, and the world hasn't changed a bit. All right? This is the, way, this is the condition of the world today towards the church, by and large. So, so where belief in the rapture, was once highly respected, uh, if not as a fact, at least as a possibility. People used to respect it, even though they may not necessarily believe it was going to happen. They still respected the idea of the possibility. But now it's often dismissed as an aberration of the end-of-the-world crowd. Christians who believe in the imminent return of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ seem to be in the minority. And although believers in the rapture may be a minority, we must not be discouraged. Instead, it should serve as a challenge to make us stronger in our faith. We must not allow the, the, the doubt of the unbelievers to be stronger than our faith in Jesus Christ. You, are you hearing me? Do not, uh, do not allow an unbeliever to make fun of you when your belief in the rapture to be stronger than your faith. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't believe in argument and debate, but sometimes I think it's just, you know, when someone starts, oh, you really believe in a rapture? And I just look and say, you don't? And, you know, I've turned things around. I'm sorry. I, do, I turn things around and say, I can't believe you don't believe in a rapture. What are you going to do when the rapture happens? Are you going to just stay around here and, and let the Antichrist just do what he wants with you? Or do you think that nothing's going to happen when you die? You're just, you just cease to exist or you become a, a single drop of rain like a... Uh, Waylon Jennings and, and Johnny Cash and all those guys and what was the name of that song? Uh, they, where they were talking about the reincarnation. You know, is that what you want to believe? I mean, you want to come back as an insect? You know, you, it, it's 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 like one time going. You know, I went skiing with my clothes on. I said, "How you ski?" And everybody, you know, everybody said, "Why don't you wear a bathing suit?" I said, "You wear a bathing suit? You ever seen yourself?" You know, there's nothing wrong with letting people know that our belief is just as important as what theirs is. If you want to believe in going naked is okay, then you let me believe in being clothed is okay. We always have to take back seat and act like that we are, you know, that there's something weird about us. Who says what is weird and what's not weird? Who made that determination to begin with? I'm sorry. Haven't, haven't, preached, haven't preached enough recently. I'm all fired up. You wait till tonight. I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> what are you doing sitting back there? I need you up here closer. Listen to him. I need you up here closer. I can't hardly hear you. <laughs> back there talking to Marv is what he's doing. You can hear that. <laughs> 
Some Christians grow weak in the faith when they face the opposition of unbelief from others. And some, some uh, respond as described by Jesus in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 when he says, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. You know, that, that is one group of people. You know, I receive it real fast. Man, I believe it. But as soon as I go out, my buddies come around, start making fun of me, I fall away. Whatever happened to people getting a backbone? Whatever happened? When did it become uh, politically incorrect to have a spine? I did this. God did something for me. Why in the world wouldn't I stand up for the goodness of God? I don't have to be mean. I don't have to debate. But I want you to know you're not going to put me down because of what I have and what I believe. There is going to be a rapture of the church. There is heaven. There is hell. Let's look at the antidote here. Let's look at the antidote. A world with questions and no answers... And a world with problems and no solutions would be like a world with venom and no antidotes. So we got this world out there that's got all kinds of problems, and we don't have to go far to see all these troubles. You ever, you ever stop and think about how people, people by nature need a church atmosphere. And when I say church, I say that, I'm saying that lightly in this case. Because you see, some of you guys, that you know, you work outside, your buddies or people that you work with may not necessarily be your buddies. But what do they, most of them do when work's over with? They head for church, the local bar. You know, they head for the local bar. And they drink, and they talk about the world's problems. And they got somebody there that believes the same way they believe. And if they don't, after they drink a few... They all believe the same. And what's the difference in us? You know, we come in here, and we may have people who don't understand it, but when they get involved in a worship, we all believe the same. Why? Because we get drunk on that new wine. <laughs> I mean, we got to have some, and, and it's a, whatever it may be, you know, clubs, people need something to come together on. So why in the world can't we get them to come to, to, to something like this? It's because, of course, that we believe that when you come into the church that God is going to change you. And we know that to be a fact because he's changed us. But you see, from them sitting on, on the outside looking in, they can't, you know, they're trying to do it on their own. But if we could just introduce them to the fact that when you allow Jesus Christ to come in and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in his name, that you really, truly, deep in your heart, though you may have struggles, you want to be different. We all want to be different. It's like, it's, it's, it's what, 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 is, what is the world? You know, now everybody got tattoos all over them because, because they wanted to be different. Now the whole world's got tattoos. They're all the same. And it's the same way back in the 70s. You know, we all wore strange clothing. I wore some really strange stuff. My wife looked good in it. I didn't. So you can't, you, know, you can't make much out of me anyway, no matter what you do. But regardless, you know, we, everybody looked the same. We were all teenagers trying to be different, and we wound up all being the same. The one thing that's, this is what gets me, the one thing that always stands is our look. Apostolic. It always is going to be different. No matter what, it's different. Because everybody wants to not look like us, so they all look the same. So they all, you know, they, they all are, are just doing the very thing they don't want to do. But we, as God's people, will always be different. Our look will always stand. And people see it in us. Not just the fact that we have the glow of the Holy Ghost, but because we've allowed the Holy Ghost to change us. And we love what we are. We love who we are. And so, and so, you know, I think it was... Uh, Rick telling me, if I embarrass you, darling, forgive me, but she said she has a hard time wearing her hair down because they want her to get her hair cut for the Cancer Society. You know, that's a big thing going on. You cut your hair off, for, you know, and you give it to people that have cancer. And, and, and you know, and, and the very thing, they want you to do this, cut her hair off 
People ask her that question. They want her to do this uh, so that some cancer patient can have Now, that seems noble. But what about the power of her hair on her head that could cure? A, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It, it, that, the power and the glory of a woman's uncut hair through her prayer can change a situation completely. No, they don't quite get that because everybody wants to do something within their own strength and power to make a difference instead of allowing obedience to touch God and make the situation completely go away. That's just this one. You know, we have an antidote, which is hope. And, and you know, without that, we, we, have, we have a problem. The rapture is the greatest hope of every Christian. If it were not for this hope, we would suffer the despair unbelievers suffer in this world. And Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In Matthew 5, 12. We can only enjoy that reward if there is a resurrection of the dead or the rapture of the church. That's the only way we can truly enjoy it. Not every antidote works as design. And unfortunately, there's not an antidote for every poison and venom in the world. But hope in Christ is an antidote that works every time. I, I was just uh, studying something the other day. and talked about the black mamba snake of, of um, Africa. Uh, they, they used to have, there's two different kinds. Of those. One is the green mamba and one is the black mamba. But the green mamba, is a, it stays in trees. And a lot of times, some of your early hunters, when they, they would shoot crocodiles at night, and they would float down rivers in the, in, uh, under the canopy of the jungle, and those, those green mambas would drop down into their boat, and they would have anti-venom packets. But that snake would bite them. Of course, a lot of times it's where it's bitten, but if it's bitten close to the heart, by the time they would unpackage their anti-venom, they'd be dead. They couldn't get to it that quick. And they said that the black mamba, you got about 20 minutes. Uh, to get somewhere to get something taken care of. Now, looking at that, how terrible it is. Even, even with this case, the antidote it had to be prescribed quickly or had to be gotten into the body quickly for it to be effective. The thing about us, and I, I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago, that our antidote works all the time. And you may walk away from it, and you may be poisoned as you can possibly be, and you may, last, you may be that way for a month or maybe a year or even ten years. But our antidote works for you no matter what. You come to God and you give your life to Him, it can be changed and all of your hope can come back, and you can know that Jesus Christ truly is going to do what He said He will do. So it's, you know, it doesn't always work as designed, but ours always works. Ours is never, ever going to not work. Hope is translated from a Greek word that means to anticipate, usually with pleasure. The Oxford Dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation, a desire for something to happen. Hope is anticipation and expectation. In Hebrews 6.19, it says we have hope as an anchor of the soul. As a metaphor, the concept of anchorage involves connecting to something stable beyond the area of instability. Just give you for an example. If you're going to anchor a boat, you're going to, if you're on a river, you're going to take and tie that boat to a tree. It's going to anchor to shore. The river's moving. The shore is stable. Or you can drop an anchor to the bottom. You can dig into the mud bottom and it can hold your boat. The river's moving, but the bottom's staying in one place. For us... To be stable in a time of despair and anxiety and depression and stress, we have to anchor to something that is not moving with the world. You cannot anchor yourself into this world and expect to get out of stress. And you cannot make a decision. And I'm, I'm sorry, folks, but years ago, you know, when I first started pastoring, actually a little bit is right at the time I started pastoring, you know, people still had the, the job situation. You go to GE and you work there for 25 or 30 years and you had all kinds of good health insurance and you had uh, retirement and you, you're, you're set up. And it was probably within 10 or 15 years thereabouts after I started that all that started changing. And interestingly enough, I remember preaching way back that, w- that some of these things were going to change. I remember it. And, and that we could not anchor ourselves in, in GE. We could not anchor ourselves in RCA or Thompson or any of those places. That we had to anchor ourselves in. Well, now we're at that time. 
Our anchorage, you know, it's really easy for you. Oh, I can praise God because everything's going good. I've got this great job making great money, and I'm going to retire next week. And I'm still going to make great money. But now it's not the case. And we don't see that in our future. We don't see it. But the thing is, I do see something that is never going to be taken away from me. And that is a heaven that I'm going to gain one day. That is being with Jesus Christ forever. That's what I'm going to anchor myself into. That is what I'm going to tie up with. You know, some people anchor into this world is like tying onto a floating log in the middle of a river. You're going to go right along with it. Heaven, our atmospheric heaven, the first heaven is what the, how the Bible refers to our atmosphere. And earth shall pass away. He said, but my word shall not pass away in Matthew twenty four thirty five. So as a believer, we are anchored to the eternal. And for this reason, the time and tides of this world system cannot affect uh, the shipwreck that Satan desires. Because that's exactly, he wants us to anchor to the log. He wants us to float on and wind up sinking somewhere down along the way. And, and he will give you opportunities to anchor in something that is not stable. Our hope in Jesus Christ is not just in this world. It reaches beyond this world to heaven. And, and the anchorage of this world is shifting, uncertain, unstable. The anchorage of heaven is steadfast, sure, and it is stable. First Peter 1 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, let me ask the question because I need an answer here. What is a lively hope? I need someone to raise your hand. Don't just blurt it out. I know you're all theologians out there. What is a lively hope? Go ahead. It's not something that's dead. That's exactly right. I mean, you can tie your boat to a dead limb on shore and it could break but you tie it to a live limb and it's not going to happen there's a lot of people who tie to what they think is going to stabilize them but it's dead this peter said what he said so well is something that is alive and it's never going to give up it's never going to give out no matter what you're going through our lively hope still exists you may be married to the worst woman on the face of the earth, meanest woman on the face of the earth, beat you up at night. My wife the other night, she's not here, she's sick. She she's got ulcers is because of me. I know that's probably the fact. She, she yells at me. I know she was dreaming. She said, a mouse ran over my foot on the bed, you know, bed covers. And, and, and she, of course, I don't hear. I'm, one ear is almost deaf. So she yells real loud, and when she does, I jump up and throw my hand over. I just missed her by about this much. And, and, and then she tells me this story about this mouse. I said, you're dreaming. No, I'm not dreaming. She said, I know it was there. So regardless, i got 35 mouse traps sitting in the bedroom. You walk around, no mouse yet. So you can, you know, you can have all kinds of bad things occur. You have mice run over your feet at night in your dreams. You know, you can, you, can, you can have all kinds of bad things, but our hope is always alive. And no matter what we endure, it always, always is alive. That is the lively hope that Peter was talking about. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a, uh, and a very well. Christian's hope is based on trust. He has a, the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God fosters hope because it recognizes God as the supreme ruler of the universe. He has all power to take care of us here and in eternity. And however bleak that situation may look, we're truly trusting God's sovereignty and we don't need to despair. Uh, we all know that all state commercial in good hands, people. Actually, I, I, you know, you use that sometimes in funeral message. That, uh, you know, they're standing around and you're in good hands with all state and they've got these giant hands out there. Uh, in the, you're not in good hands with all state. You're not in good hands with any of them. You know, you really aren't. But we are in good hands when we are in Jesus' hands. 
And that's the one thing that we have to always know. We are in good hands. Peter wrote, he said, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. The word kept in this verse derives from a compound of two Greek words, meaning to be a watcher in advance. That's a, that's a great word, kept, to be a watcher in advance. In other words, when he, God keeps us, it's not just a matter of keeping us after the problem. He knows and keeps us before the problem occurs. Now, that may sound rough to us because, all right, if he keeps me before, then why did the problem occur? Nine times out of ten, folks, it's because we live in a world that's full of trouble. And God allows things to happen to us just to disconnect us from that mess. Because when you have true joy in the Holy Ghost, yes, I, I realize all of us are going to go through hard times and difficulties. When we're in the midst of it, we wonder, oh, God, can I make it through? But when you do make it through and God helps you to get through that, and you don't know whether you would have made it through that without him or not. You understand what I'm saying? You look at that situation and you think, well, what if God wasn't in my life? You may still be in the midst of something that occurred 20 years ago. But God helped you through this and allowed you to learn by the situation, I'm not going to go there again. If there's anything you can get today, get that. When God lets you go through something and takes you through it and holds you through it, don't put yourself in that same situation again. Because we put ourselves there. We are the ones that do it. And, And God says, all right, we'll just do it again. You ever seen that person who keeps going round and round and round and round? And, you know, keep coming up here, pray for me because I'm doing this. You know, I prayed for you that last month. And, and, and at the end of the year, 12 times, 12 months, you prayed for the same situation that keeps occurring over and over again because that person will not learn. Sometimes you need to change your lifestyle to change your situation. And, and, and that's what I think God allows us to do this. He allows us to know and, and that ahead of time we've got to keep out of some of this, this mess that we get ourselves into. Uh, you know, as, as confusing as a picture may be to us, God knows exactly what he's doing. And we're only a small part of the total picture. But God sees the whole thing. And because we're only able to view a small part of what God is accomplishing, we often do not understand his actions. But if we will trust his plan, he'll solidify hope in our hearts. It's because we don't see what's going on. In this case with Eldar, I can't for the life of me see why it's going to help us in any way for him to go to Boulder, Colorado and, 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 and shoot at satellites. Uh, you know, I, I can't see how that's going to help us. But... I don't see the whole picture. I see this part of the picture. And I see how much I rely on him. I'm trying to make him feel guilty. Just hang on. And, and <laughs> I see how much I rely on him, how much I rely on Jamie. You know, she's, she's, you know, she's a part of it. I rely on them, but I also know that maybe there is that one or two people or 20 or 100 people in that area that he can reach that nobody else could reach but the two and a vegetarian. You know, <laughs> and you know, when they contact me and tell me that they're having a home church going on and they're doing great things, I'm going to be a happy person for them. And we are going to be happy for them because I said they're not going to be gone forever. I've already got a raiment from God on that. So just hang on. So, you know, that, that, that's, we see just that small part. So hope has many positive effects. Hope, hope gives a believer an eternal perspective that sees life positively. And without hope, the unbeliever finds himself echoing the title of a, a song way back in 69. Uh, it, was, uh, it was sung by Peggy Lee, and, and it was, Is This All There Is? It's a, that's the name of the song. Uh, what a fatalistic view. Is this all there is? You know? If my hope, Paul said that. If my hope in Christ was in this world only, I'd be of all men most miserable. So if I just have to go from one battle to the other without a hope of heaven, yeah, I would be miserable. But the thing that takes me through this is I don't know from one second to the next where the Lord's going to sound the trumpet and we're going to be taken out of here. And that hope carries me, and it should carry all of us. Hope allows us to see through the fog of our present dilemma to focus on our eternal, uh, eternal future. Romans 5, 5 says, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hope creates an attitude of confidence. When a person anticipates something good happening, it establishes a certain boldness and gives that individual the ability to face the future. Without hope for the future, the person is affected negatively. And that's it. Without our hope in the future, we'd all be negative. But we have a hope in the future. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. The ultimate hope of all believers is one day to reach heaven. And as that eternal destination, that's what we're all seeking for. And having the Holy Spirit within now gives us a hope of being with Christ during eternity. This, this living hope enables us to make it through each day as we anticipate eternity. It is somewhat like the working person who is able to make it through the work week because he knows there's the weekend. What helps you get through the week? It's the weekend. It helps you get through it. It's the same way with us. We're getting through this life because we've got a weekend coming. We've got a weekend coming. Not everyone that hath his hope in him, and everyone, excuse me, and every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Hope also purifies believers. There's something about eternal hope that refuses to associate with sin. Anyone who surrenders to God and lives in his, in, in his will is inoculated with purifying hope. The world may criticize our hope and call it useless. In fact, Karl Marx made this statement. He said, religion is the opium of the people. That's how he, how he thought about it. Uh, well, obviously religion is, is what's still going on. Karl Marx isn't. The unbeliever does not believe in the validity of the Christian's hope. However, the believer has, has staked everything on salvation and his hope for eternity. The 17th century French philosopher, this is a great comment right here, Pascal, he proposed that everyone who was skeptical about the existence of God would be wise to go ahead and respond as though there was a God. So what he proposed, he said that if there is a God, you have acted wisely. If there is no God, you have wagered but lost nothing. Thankfully, the true believer is not wagering. We have a real hope. But that's the way he said, why, why would you want to serve God? If there is not a God, I'm not lost anything. I lived a good life. People like me. And if there is a God, good thing I did the right thing. Yeah. Now, during this time of stress in our world, hope gives believers assurance and peace. When the world is confused and bewildered by the plethora of problems, the Christian is, is calmly awaiting the rapture in eternity. That's what I always admired so much in some of the, some of the old saints of the past, and, and even today, uh, some, of, some of the older ones, that, you know, that, that, that hope is there, and they just wait patiently for the coming of the Lord, uh, either the rapture of the church or by them going by way of the grave. But they know they have got something that's on the other side. And that, and that is such a, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of, hope is an act of patience. Hope is an act of patience. The thing, the Bible actually speaks of it this way. It says, you know, when you get the thing you hope for, it's no longer hope. So hope is something that's always in front of us. When we do finally reach the thing that is hoped for, it's not going to matter because we're going to be a new people, a new body. Uh, and, and we go on, you know, how, how the Bible says that we will be like angels, so neither be male nor female, that when we go to heaven, but we will know. And, and, and you know, the Bible says, Paul, Paul spoke, he said, I'll be known even as I'm known. I've always believed what that was speaking of was the sense of, of Paul and uh, recognizing people as brothers and sisters. Or actually, uh, there would be no sisters and brothers. It will be something completely different. And for me to try to explain how it's going to be, we're going to recognize each other as a fellow child of God, is how we're going to recognize each other. Uh, whether we will know people as mothers and fathers, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes you say that, you say it in funeral services, uh, but I can't tell you that 100%. You know, it says we're going to sit down with, uh, you know, Peter and Paul, and we're going to sit down, at, you know, at, at a table with them. But will we know them? Will we know them as that? Or will we just know each other as a fact that, again, we are a child of God? Our minds are not going to be the way they are right now. It's completely different. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thought. That's the hope. You know, be honest with you, I wouldn't mind getting out of this mind. I've got a lot of thoughts I don't like. <laughs> i got a lot of memories that's good, and I've got some memories that's not so good. And everybody in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, just to, to, to go there. And, and, and I suppose anticipating seeing people that, that we know have gone on before, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, I don't believe because you know, I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of men the thing that God hath prepared for them that love him. So we can't really understand it completely.
we can only understand one thing. Jesus is our hope. Stand with me. You going to be here tonight? Oh, is that... Okay. Um, all right. Well, I just, just wondered. Come tonight early to pray. Come early to pray. Um, men downstairs, women upstairs. Uh, let, let's, let's, let's break it up. But come early to pray. Let's get everything... Let's get everything right for the service tonight. Let's get everything right. Uh, I want to see God do a miracle tonight. Okay, I, I, I want you to understand. I'm not just saying this to make you, uh, yeah, there is a hope, there's anticipation. But I want our faith to be built for it. I want you to pray for a miracle tonight. I want you to pray for it. A visible miracle. And it is all right for us to believe that. And if we don't see something visible, you know the thing is about visible miracles is that you may not see it, but somebody who's had the miracle happen will see it. So let's just believe it. And if that miracle happens to you, be sure and let me know. So let's believe for a miracle tonight. I think we need to every day, every service that we come together, we need to, to have our hearts together and unified and believe God for something fantastic. Uh, and, and I believe that we'll get that when we begin to, to come together with that, that thought in mind. Will you believe that with me? Let's raise our hands and ask God right now. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, your gentle kindness. And I praise and magnify you and honor you and bless you in everything that we do. Let us come together this evening knowing, God, that you're going to do something wonderful, that a miracle will occur. God, I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.